historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Today's episode is called When Opposites Attract. Imagine to yourself a situation where the U.S. Republican, let's say Marjorie Taylor Greene, and a U.S. Democrat, and let's say Alexandria Cortez, decide that they have common interests, common goals. They decide to share government as equal partners, almost equal partners, let's say, and they decide that they will vote as one on a range of issues. Does that seem impossible, that Cortez and Margie Taylor Greene will go together? It sounds probably very impossible, but that's not impossible in Israel. Israel's prime minister, new prime minister, he's only been prime minister for two weeks. It's July 1st, 2021. Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who is of the ideological school of a one-state solution, which means only Israel, not a Palestine, who believes that the West Bank, or known as Judea and Samaria, belongs only to Israel. And he basically is a right-wing ideologue. Imagine him forming a government with many political parties, among them an Islamic party headed by a man named Mansour Abbas. Now, Abbas believes in the Muslim Sharia law. He does not believe in the idea of Israel as a Jewish state, has expressed support for Hamas, which is a terror organization, and supports the idea of the right of return of Palestinian refugees into Israel proper once there's a two-state solution or even before that. What does that mean? Basically, it means that let's say four to five million Palestinians, according to their numbers, who live in Lebanon or Jordan or even Egypt or even as far away as Iraq and other places, will be able to come to Israel and live in Israel even if they were just born to a Palestinian family, let's imagine, yesterday. These two people are totally opposites. And yet, they need to get along in order to be in one government. And the question is, can they function in one government? Can they survive in one government? These totally opposite ideolo- ideologues. And you know what? Let's take a little deeper look. So first, I want to start with Prime Minister Bennett. And a few facts before we go a little deeper. Bennett is 49 years old. He's married, a father of four. He is a modern Orthodox observant Jew. That means he keeps the Sabbath, Shabbat, no driving, goes to synagogue. He's a son of American immigrants to Israel from San Francisco. Since Bennett is in the Parliament of Israel, and definitely because he's Prime Minister, according to Israeli law, he must give up his foreign citizenship. He actually is an American citizen as well as an Israeli citizen. He needs to give up his American citizenship, which he did. He's not the only one. There are other members of Parliament, about five in number, that have given it up, but just to understand how Israeli law works. Now, Bennett served in the Israeli Defense Forces in a very special unit called Sayeret Matkal. Sayeret Matkal is an anti-terror and intelligence unit. Only really the tough-minded and really physically tough serve in that unit. He's also a multimillionaire from high-tech, lately also from just investing in high-tech companies. I need to tell you more about Bennett. Mainly over a few months at the end of 2005, and all the way to the summer of 2006. Two major events took place within that about six months, which changed his life forever. One of them was, as he is actually and still studying in law school, I think it was third year in law school, at this time, he also started a company which deals with financial security, in other words, uh, offering financial security mainly to banks and other places. And this company seems to be taken off. Now, by the way, they were 
about to go belly up, as they call it. And one of the grandmothers of one of the partners of this company gave them $300,000 so that they don't fold. And they were pretty successful in a sense that when they were attempting to sell the company, they got offers. One of the offers they got, you ready for this? $100 million. This is interesting because this will tell you a lot about Bennett's personality. He gets an offer of $100 million, contemplating and selling. Remember, he doesn't have a pot to piss in at this point. And he then gets another phone call from someone else who is interested in buying. Bennett immediately says to this second buyer, which I won't mention the names right now, the price is $150 million, not one cent less. The buyer on the other side of the phone says, this is way too expensive and hangs up the phone. Bennett looks at his wife and says, oh, I think I just screwed it up. I just messed up the deal. I tried too much perhaps to get too much money. Almost before he finishes the sentence, the phone rings again. And it's the same buyer, same potential buyer, who then says $150 million is way too expensive, but I'm willing to give you $145 million. And Bennett says, you got a deal. It shows you something about his negotiation tactics, but it also shows us that uh, he became very wealthy um, very early on at the age of 33 or so. This was one event that changed his life, of course. The second event took place in the summer of 2006, specifically in July of 2006, when the second Lebanon war broke out. This war, as Bennett says it himself, uh, there was a week in this war, which was his most difficult week in his entire life. Bennett was deeply shaken by what we the Israelis call this second Lebanon war. The, le the war was messy. Our army was confused. The military intelligence was lacking. Supplies were short, and we didn't really have a strategic goal. The war was against the Hezbollah in Lebanon. That was after they had actually kidnapped a couple of soldiers, and the decision in Israel was, that's it. We cannot play this game anymore with the Hezbollah, with low-intensive warfare. We must now go in with full forces. Bennett, as a company commander in this special unit called the Sayyid Batkal, is given a mission which he deems not really possible. Uh, again, the military intelligence wasn't there, not really possible. So he tries to make contact with all kinds of higher-up officers, and he's really not, no one's really listening to him. Finally, he gets a phone number of one of the cabinet members of the government, a man named Avi Dichter, was also um, at one point the head of the Israeli Secret Service, the Shin Bet, the Internal Secret Service. Um, and he says to him, you know, this mission you're going to give me is just something that it, I don't seem, doesn't seem like it could be possible. Avi Dichter says to him, you know, I have really very little influence, and so I apologize for it. And that was the end of the conversation. Bennett says then that from that point on, all he wanted to do was make sure that he gets his company home safely. But it shook him so much that this war was such a mess and that there was really no leadership, as he calls it, that he decided at that point and that time that he is now going to go into politics and try to create a major change in Israel, in Israeli leadership, in, in Israeli ideology, and really run the country better than it was run until then. Somehow he is recommended to Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu at the time was the head of the opposition. He was not in the government. He was not the prime minister. And he becomes his chief of staff refuses payment. Remember, he's a multimillionaire. He doesn't need the money. He has actually paid only 1,000 shekels, which is the equivalent of about $300, out of Benjamin Netanyahu's pocket. The reason I mention this is because Bennett's job did not last very long. As a matter of fact, within a couple of years, he was out. The reason they say is didn't get along or, or didn't, didn't do the job as Netanyahu wanted it, but the real reason, according to most um, journalists in Israel, is the fact that Sarah Netanyahu and Bennett had a falling out. It was actually over the money. 
Bennett had said he would work for free at first, and then he was receiving, once again, only $300, but Sarah did not, Netanyahu apparently did not like that. And so Bennett basically wrapped up his uh, desk and left. 2013, Bennett joins a political party called the Jewish Home. In this political party, he climbs the ladder pretty quickly and becomes the head of it. They get into the parliament, into the Knesset, and they actually create a coalition together with Netanyahu's party, the Likud. And Netanyahu, who then becomes the prime minister, offers him different ministries. At one point, he's minister of education, Bennett, and then afterwards, he's minister of defense. But within his own party, he had issues. Um, He lost some power, most likely because of the fact that his party, the Jewish home, would always consult with rabbis about um, about what their political platform should be. Bennett didn't really agree with that. Bennett didn't think that the rabbis should lead the political platform and the ideology. And so he left the party, started his own party, and in the next election, he didn't even pass the threshold needed to be a parliament member, which was devastating. But luckily for him, there was no, there was an ability to put together a government and there was a new election. In this new election, in 2019, he starts another party called Yamina. Yamina in Hebrew means the right, or again, the idea is the right wing. With this party, he gains seven seats in the parliament, in the Knesset. Seven seats out of 120. That's not a lot. It's actually very little. One of the seats of a member of parliament named Shikli doesn't agree with his platform, doesn't agree with Bennett, doesn't agree with the fact that Bennett is also looking at putting together or becoming part of a government that is not just right wing, but also maybe center and left. And he leaves the party, which means that now Bennett is only left with six seats. That's allowed in Israel, in the Knesset. As a head of the party of six seats, he's on the one hand weak. He doesn't have a lot of, a lot of power with six seats. On the other hand, he becomes the swing vote between two major blocks. One block belongs to Netanyahu, the Likud party, and it's center to right, more right than center. And the other block is a couple of, or three actually, right-wing parties that really dislike Netanyahu, dislike the Likud and the way that it's run. And even though they're right-wing, they don't want to put together a government with Netanyahu. They join forces with centralist parties like Yesh Atid, headed by Yair Lapid, who is now the foreign minister of Israel, and also with left-wing Jewish parties, and also with the Arab party, headed by Mansour Abbas, who, as I mentioned at first, is pretty much exactly the opposite of Bennett ideologically and otherwise. Let's talk a little bit about Mansour Abbas. Um, A few facts. He's only 47 years old. He's married with three kids. He's an observant Muslim. He's born and raised and still lives in a village called Marar. If you can pronounce that, then you really know Hebrew. Marar, which actually is in the Upper Galilee. He's a dentist by profession but has been in politics really since early on, as a matter of fact, from his teenage years, believe it or not. He established and heads the Southern Israeli Islamic Movement. He also established a political party called Ra'am, which is an acronym for United Arab List. I mentioned that he started in politics when he was a teenager. He was actually 17 years old when he was already attending the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. There at the Hebrew University, he meets someone who is definitely much older than him, but he meets someone named Abdallah Nimar Darwish, who is the founder of the Islamic movement in Israel. In other words, he's the one that actually started the whole Islamic ideology in Israel proper. You have to understand, Darwish tried to establish what he calls an Arab Islamic state in Palestine, which means there's no Israel, basically. And he was actually arrested for it and convicted of membership in a terrorist organization. This is early on. This is um, in the 70s. But 
after he was released from prison, incidentally, he was released from prison at a deal um, called the Jibril deal, where Israeli soldiers who were kidnapped in the 80s um, in the first Lebanon war were let free for many prisoners that were, that were within Israel, and Darwish um, was, was one of them. When Darwish is released from prison, he actually starts changing his whole mode of thinking and part of his ideology. He begins to express opposition to Israeli Arabs taking part in violent behavior against Israel. That's not exactly a supporter of terrorism. In 1992, he explicitly condemned the killing of three Israeli soldiers by an Israeli Arab group. He, like I said, Darwish was against um, uh, Israeli Arabs being violent and creating terror. He did not say the same thing for Palestinians who he calls struggle for independence. Back to Abbas, though. Abbas, like I said, Abbas heads the Southern Islamic Movement in Israel. There are two Islamic movements in Israel, the Northern Islamic Movement and the Southern Islamic Movement. The Northern Islamic Movement was a lot more radical. The Northern Islamic Movement had supported terrorism almost completely outright. They were actually outlawed. The Southern Islamic Movement, which again Abbas heads, is a lot more pragmatic. Having said that, he himself has said on different occasions, for instance, in 2017, Mansour Abbas uh, wrote an article in which he supported the violent struggle against Israel, again, by Hamas and others. In 2019, he had said, I'm the Palestinian first. I represent the Islamic movement in Israel. He doesn't agree with the idea of a state for the Jewish people. I actually mentioned that at the very beginning. And he believes, once again, in the return of Palestinian refugees into Israel proper. I mentioned that as well. That basically means that uh, Israel kind of doesn't have a right to exist when you say that. And yet, and, and so first of all, he's basically completely antithesis to, to Bennett and to Bennett's ideology. But Abbas can be at the same time pragmatic. He could be ambivalent. He could be flexible. He could be harsh. Again, all at the same time. So let's try to understand a little deeper. On April 21st in 2020, not that long ago, Abbas delivered a speech which was considered um, historical. And why? Because it was the first time that a real Arab member stood up and said, and by the way, in the Knesset, in the Parliament of Israel, where he said that he feels for the Jewish people for having gone through the Holocaust. He says, and I quote, as a religious Palestinian Muslim Arab who was um, raised on the legacy of Sheikh Abdallah Nimr Darwish, who founded the Islamic movement, I have empathy for the pain and suffering over the years of Holocaust survivors and families of the murdered. He also says, I stand here to show solidarity with the Jewish people here and forever. You must understand that for an Arab leader to come out and say the Holocaust happened, and not only did it happen, but I sympathize, I, I have empathy for the Jewish people, is almost revolutionary. He actually does something else at the same time, which is a more political move. He joins the joint list in voting against what's called the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords, if you remember, not long ago, were signed with the Emirates and with Bahrain, where it was basically a peace agreement between Israel and the Emirates in Bahrain. Ironically, the Arab party, the joint list in Israel, voted against it. Why would you vote against peace within an Arab country? Because they said, first solve the Palestinian issue, first have a two-state solution, and only then should the Jewish state, or Israel rather yet, should be recognized by other Arab countries. He voted with them with them um, against the, the peace accord. So like I said, ambivalent. But Abbas made a very, very important political move 
just about a year ago in 2020, where he decided to break off from the joint Arab list and have his own party I mentioned called Ra'am, uh, the United Arab uh, List, he said the following. From now on, I don't want to talk about the Palestinians. I don't want to talk about peace. I don't want to talk about war. I don't want to talk about anything other than what my constituents need and they need now. In the Arab-Israeli wor- world, there is a tremendous amount of crime a tremendous amount of illegal weapons. There are mafia families that kill each other and innocent bystanders all the time. This is going to be for another podcast when I talk about Arab-Israelis, but that's one of the main issues is the crime within the Arab world in Israel. Um, He also represents the nomadic Bedouin. They're no longer nomadic, but the Bedouins in the Negev Desert, which is in the south. Um, There's a lot of issues over their housing, what land belongs to them, what land does not belong to them, because they were nomadic once and now they're not nomadic. And again, there's a negotiation with the state of Israel over which land exactly belongs to these Bedouins. He represents them as well. And he's also for establishing an Arab university. Question is, how does Bennett, once again, a right-wing ideologue, and Mansour Abbas, leader of the Islamic movement, the Southern Islamic movement, believes in the Sharia law, how do they get along? How do they function? How do they survive in one government? And that's an important question. Let me give an example of how it works in Israeli politics when opposites attract. There's an important, very important current issue, and again, I'm talking July 2021, of a law called in Hebrew, Chok HaEzrachut, and in English, that would be called the Citizenship Law. This law was enacted in 2003, so it's already been around for almost 18 years, and every year this law must be enacted or basically voted on after every year. And let me explain. During the second intifada, when terrorism raged in Israel, we're talking at the end of 2000 to almost 2004, this law was enacted in order to make sure that Israeli Arabs won't marry Arabs from the West Bank and the Gaza Strip or other Arab countries. By having married them, these Arabs can move into Israel proper. Now, this law sounds not so great. What do you mean an Arab, Israeli Arab can't marry someone from Gaza? What if they fell in love with an Arab from Gaza? Well, that, that actually makes sense, right? But that's not how it works. And why do I say that? Because the Arab leadership in Gaza and the West Bank and even in Lebanon and other places had encouraged people to get married to Arab Israelis so they can move to Israel. By having moved to Israel, this could create a demographic issue with having more Arabs than Jews at one point. And so that's why this law was kind of a loophole for these guys to get married with Arab Israelis and then make a move into Israel. The reason for the law was specifically stated if Arabs from the Gaza or the West Bank or other Arab countries come into Israel proper, they could be a terrorist threat. As a matter of fact, the Arab leadership could be, the Hamas leadership and others, could be sending terrorists into Israel as Israeli citizens. And so the law was enacted, but the law said that every year it'll terminate and then be voted upon again. And again, this has happened 17 times already. It's also very clear, as I mentioned, that the demography here is the issue, and that's why this law is voted on again and again and again. Now imagine an Arab party, Mansour Abbas is the head of it, the Ram party, having to vote, not allowing Arabs from, like I said before, the West Bank, Gaza, and other places, to marry Israelis and to come into Israel. Imagine that. By the way, they can marry Israelis, but they can't become Israeli citizens and they can't even become permanent residents of Israel. So they can't really live in Israel. Imagine this party that believes in the right of return of refugees voting on this law and saying, okay, we agree that they can't come in or they cannot get married. That's against their ideology. But as I mentioned before, Abbas has already said that he's going to put his own constituents, the Arab Israelis, as the priority, nothing else. And so you can actually 
maybe get along with this law. Bennett, the prime minister of Israel, who basically agrees with this law for sure, but Bennett has placed the priority of all Israelis, economy, education, health, as his ideological platform, and he's also willing to share this power with an Arab party that seems to be radically against his own ideology, but this Arab party being pragmatic, Bennett, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister of Israel, also being pragmatic, these two can work together. Unbelievable. So far it's working. It's only been two weeks. But I strongly believe this government will last for quite a long time. A long time in Israel could mean two years or three years. If it's four years, that is, uh, that's almost a miracle. That is the update today of how opposites attract. I hope you join us for our next podcast.